0: Good morning. It's good to see you. I've got to get my phone out. I know for most of you, sitting down requires that because we have these giant bulky things. If you're not following along, uh, I would encourage you to check it out at kingswaymo.info. There's a sermon note uh, spot in there that you can actually check out the bulletin. Uh, you can check out a lot of stuff, but the sermon notes are in there as well. And you can actually take little notes in there and then email it to yourself. Completely digital, I know. For some of you, you're like, whoa, new age, all right? Uh, and then also when you walk in, there's that little uh, connections booth, there's, uh, there's a paper outlet or uh, uh, I guess outline uh, that's there too. It's for old school note takers like myself that do this and then just take a picture of it and then it's in my phone digitally, all right? So I just circumvent the whole thing because uh, I just like to <laughs> write it down. But that way you can keep track, and, and, and I know a lot of you, uh, that the visual side along with the, the hearing actually helps uh, keep it in your head uh, and actually retain it. We're going to do a two-week little two week series. Uh, this is kind of just one of those things that uh, we, we leave this space uh, kind of intentionally open sometimes because we want to let God move. And for me, it's, it's really good to have this sometimes this space to kind of go, okay, I need to fill this. What is God doing and working? And uh, bringing about in my life and in my heart, intentionally, and, and so this uh, next two weeks is going to be a, it's going to be under a heading uh, called "Holiday Preppers." Okay, uh, and if anybody's ever uh, watched uh, Doomsday Preppers or understands what prepping is about, it's basically catastrophic craziness is about to incur end of the world, and people are preparing. All right, for that. So they'll have storehouses of food, a safe room, all this uh, crazy stuff to make sure that at the end, And I'm not trying to knock that or anything like that, but there are just types of people out here that are organized. If uh, that happens, I will find you. All right. I'll just find you. That's what I'll do. That's my plan. All right. Um, but we're just going to talk through the concept of holiday prepping or being holiday preppers. And then before I tell you exactly what that means for today, I, I just I need to clarify this because you're going to have a temptation. There's going to be an urge. I do not want you to make eye contact. I do not want you to visually point. I don't want you to nudge. I don't want you to do one of the mom like slow motion stares as I declare this title because there will be a temptation to do that. Some of you may even want to stand up and just do this, all right, because we're going to talk about difficult people today, all right? And so as we're talking about difficult people, uh, if you don't or have any difficult people that come to mind, you may be difficult person in your life. All right? And as I told my wife, I love my kids. I think they're amazing. I have three little boys, uh, but I have made three difficult people. Physically, I have made three difficult people that each morning I interact with. And now we've put all these breakable things on this tree in our, in our house. And every day, it just becomes an interaction of both joy and desolation, all right? Just, we had snow globes. This was amazing. This was yesterday. Snow globes that they had picked out that they were each going to get to just commemorate Christmas. They were from the dollar store, and my middle son was so excited, just running around. Or whatever He had it for three minutes, three minutes all over the hallway. Little heart shattered along with it, all right? Yeah, you say, oh, the terror that followed <laughs> the reign of terror. <laughs> Some you are like, get over it. I'm like, I know. They're just, we made that. And now we got to deal with it. All right. Back to, the store. Back to the dollar store, right? Yeah, that's right. A dollar for, for, for tranquility. So today, we're going to interact with this, and, and it's intentionally here, and, and I'm not trying to Break up friendships or relationships or get you to just start drawing lines or start texting people right now. Like you need to listen to this. Um, but for you, I know that the holidays, like myself, it, it forces interaction sometimes with difficult people. It, it just does. Uh, and I know for some of you, this is a week late. Like we needed this last week. <laughs> um, and, I, and I get that. And, but part of this, as I was thinking through it, that's why this is so needed now. It's because a lot of times we don't even realize how much or how hard this is until we have to interact with that one aunt, like sibling, or that one friend that showed up. Or you're going to go back to work tomorrow, and there's a whole room of difficult people. Or maybe, I mean, maybe you're even married to someone that's a little difficult. Again, no nudging, no pointing. This can, be, this can be one of those things that I think around the holidays it intensifies because there's this thing that you have to do. It's called forced family fun. And so when you get around some people, you're forced to interact with them. You're forced to see them. You're, you're going to be in proximity to them. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not just talking about, I guess, broken relationships inside your family. I'm talking about holiday parties, I'm talking about the, the interactions with with classmates or friends, and the, just the there's supposed to be this joy. There's supposed to be this free, and then there's these people in there that just suck the life out of you. And in fact, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today comes from two series that at one point we may actually completely unpack. Uh, but the the stuff I kind of just opened my eyes. One was called uh, How to Love a Vampire. Uh, and the other one was How to Hug a Vampire. All right? And that to me, like the titles, I was like, oh, I get that. I get that. <laughs> because there are just people who just seem to suck the very life out of you. This is not a new issue. Uh, as much as I'd like to pretend like all my issues are just mine, and they're mine, just like probably you do, uh, this is something that even Jesus had to deal with. In fact... This is one of those moments where you get to see behind the curtain of like one of Jesus' closest apostles who like founded this congregation, this group, this meeting, this church that we now live in. This is Peter's interaction when talking about dealing with difficult people with Jesus. And this is one of those things that I just, I just love it. When Peter makes these statements, then I'm like, yeah, I would have asked that. Totally would have done it. This is what Peter said to Jesus when talking about difficult people. Uh, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he, he adds in here a little, little statement, which at first you're like, oh, it's kind of high, but what He says, up to seven times. Now, seven was a special number uh, to the Jewish kind of foundational thing. And so that's a complete number. That's like a whole number. That's like a, ooh, a religious number, right? And it has a lot of meaning. And so, of course, he's throwing it in there like, I think I know the answer. That's what he's throwing it in there like. So Jesus, of course, gives him the answer that that is like perfect. Is Jesus worthy, right? And Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times but 70 times 70, all right? 70 times seven. Now that number right there is infinite. That's what that means. 70 times seven. So 77 times is what it says there, but it really is multiplication. Does that make sense? Now here's the thing. When you read that, some of you are like, great, I'm gonna get walked all over. This is a sermon to just tell me to take it. This is a sermon to just go home and go, do what you will, right? This is a sermon you just walk into Christmas and you're like, yes, ow, oh, yes, yes, I'm so happy you said that. I'm so happy you brought that back up the 15th year in a row. So glad you keep holding that over my head. So glad you keep talking behind my back. I'm just joyous and love and you're forgiven, That's not the context to this whatsoever. But see, if we read this out of context, then you think that's what Jesus is saying. But the context to this is right before this. This is the the side where Jesus goes, if you have a brother or sister that sins against you, you are to go to that person face-to-face, one-on-one, and you are to tell them. And if they don't listen, what do you do? You take two or three people. And you go back to them and you say, dude, you messed up. Stop it. And their testimony, if that does not change their heart, guess what you do? You take it to the whole church. You take it to the whole gathering, to their whole life group, to the whole. And then you bring it to them. And then if they still don't listen, guess what? It breaks the relationship completely. It it tears the relationship completely. Now why why this is so easy sometimes to just skip over that being a part of what forgiveness is is because if you just read that it just feels like you're supposed to sit there and just take it 70 times. But the truth is you have to see the relationship as something more than the pain. You have to see the value in the person as more than the current circumstance. You have to measure the situation as a lesson and something that has a possibility for growth rather than just right and wrong. The context for this really is what does forgiveness look like and how do you love somebody that hurts you? How do you love difficult people? How do you truly help them? How do you truly come alongside them? How do you encourage, call back, restore people that hurt you? That's tough. Forgiving someone does not mean that you forgive the current actions of a person. And to be just frank, if someone is physically abusing you, Jesus is not telling you to sit there and take it and take it. He is telling you to confront, to remove yourself from the situation, to get yourself out, and then to bring about forgiveness that would actually restore the trust. That's the goal. The goal is not just to sit there and take it and take it. The goal of forgiveness is to actually repair the relationship. And you are only one side of it. So the context has to be both sides set up in a way with other authority figures present other people present sometimes to make that possible. Sometimes we take this out of context and we just see it as this is my cross to bear and I, I, I don't that specific context especially abuse in any way that is not what Jesus is telling you to do. Get help. Tell somebody. Get out of the situation. Remove yourself. Sound good? I just need to be frank with that. After uh, Jesus tells Peter this, he moves into a parable to explain it. And I'm not going to put the parable up here because it's it's rather long and I want to just give you kind of the, the version of it because I think Peter gets this answer from Jesus and Peter does what I just t- t- says to you. You know, he's just kind of, he's kind of reeling and you could probably read it. Jesus could probably read it on Peter's face and he's going like, okay, wait a second. I thought my number was high. <laughs> I thought like seven times. That's a lot. Your number seems like, Crazy, And so Jesus goes into the story about a servant that owed the Lord of the land 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold would literally have been like saying like a gazillion dollars. All right. That's what it would have been like. All right. It literally no one would have been like, oh, so we could pay it back. No, there is no hope for it. And so the king, of course, this authority figure has to put this man in jail until he can pay it back. But before he can do that, the servant gets down on his knees and he begs for forgiveness, asks for mercy. And the king takes mercy, or finds mercy and and gives and offers grace to him and forgives the entire debt and lets the man go free. And literally the man leaves the palace, goes to his town and finds a man that owes him a hundred pieces of silver. Which would have been a significant amount, but something that was measurable in their day. That you could actually, and he grabs his friend who owes him the money and says, Pay me back now. And the man says he can't pay. And so this ungrateful servant throws his friend in prison until he can pay back the silver. And the crazy thing is, going to jail doesn't really pay much. And so he throws his friend in prison and basically eternally punishes him for the wrongdoing. And of course, the king hears wind of this and comes down hard. And he says what everyone has always said, like, I forgave you something so much larger. How can you then not forgive this person? And in the end, His lack of forgiveness is transferred into the debt that he previously owned. And he is put in jail. Now the key to this story is the the thought process of God forgiving us so much and us being unwilling to forgive those around us, right? But I think the money is funny that it gives us accurate assessments that a hundred pieces of silver... How many times would someone have to owe you 10,000 bags of gold? A lot of times. A lot of times. So what do we do with this? Because I know for some of you in here, you're holding on to one specific event, one specific woman. You're holding on to something that's even occurred maybe in the last week or two. Or maybe it's years ago and this is somebody that you interact with and you're dealing with and they just continue to bring it up but this is fresh pain or deep pain. And dealing with this type of stuff can be challenging. Especially going into a time where you're going to be forced to be with them. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I just want to give you three things that we could possibly do together to be prepared to offer forgiveness, to be prepared to interact with and hopefully be positive influences with people that are difficult. So here's number one, let's get this party started. You have rear control. You have rear control. love this concept. Uh, How many in here own a minivan? All right, loud and proud. All right, loud and proud. Woo, yeah! There's like one of us. Okay, how many of you own an SUV? We'll just go that route. All right, cool. Uh, who, who owns a conditioning? Isn't it the greatest invention on the face of the planet? It absolutely is. Uh, because one of those things that happens, uh, we go to a conference every now and then, uh, a couple times a year here. We rented a 15-passenger van not too long ago. Well, I was in the very back row. Very back row. There was rear control, but it didn't reach us. You know what I'm talking about? And so every now and then, we were doing One of these. And you just start to feel the sweat. Or you just start to, for me, it's always this, I am freezing. (laughs) And there's a temptation in that moment to just keep your mouth shut (laughs) and like nothing's going on. But the real cool thing is when you're in a vehicle that you realize that the person that's up front doesn't have all the controls. There's some right here. And you can adjust That temperature gauge All by yourself And the person that's in the driver's seat Doesn't have complete control Over the context Or the environment Of the vehicle So this is the first point for you You have Rear control You have things in your life That you are in control of When dealing with difficult people Somebody else may be up front. Somebody else may have set a certain conversation, a certain tone, a certain attitude, a certain environment has been set. But guess what? Your interpretation, your determination, your attitude is in your control. Jesus uh, uses an illustration to talk about what it's like when you're trying to influence people, but people don't necessarily give in to your influence. Uh, this is one of those moments where you're like, he had to tell this several times because the disciples were like, uh-huh, explain it again. Uh-huh, say it again. I, I got it. One more time. Uh, wait. Nope. One more time. Jesus talked about when the the disciples would be sent out and they would share this good news that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had come to start a new kingdom that their words would fall onto different types of soil and that some of the, the seed would fall on rocky soil and some of the seed would fall into weeds and some of the seed would just be spread out and burn up. And the concept of this is not everybody that hears these good words reacts in the way they should not everybody that hears even the very fullness of the gospel the truth that it is the full life that it offers will hear it and respond which is devastating right because i want to believe that everybody in here has common sense And that that the gospel would move forward and that we all would find full life. I I want that. And you know what's funny is, every conversation I have with people sometimes proves my ability and your ability to be ignorant fools. To just be blind from our current perspective. To, To not see the truth. To not understand the situation. To be blinded by our previous hurts or pain. To be unforgiving, boastful, prideful. And in the moment, damage and hurt people. But see, what Jesus was saying is your message shouldn't change because of the soil. Your words and your attitudes should not be controlled by the people that you're talking to. They should be controlled by the truth of what you're speaking and the attitude and the work that that truth has done in your heart. In your mind, you have rear control. You are in control of how you interact with people, even when they're mean, even when they're disrespectful, even when they are unforgiving, even when they treat you poorly. And I love this section of 13 because Matthew 13, after Jesus explains this multiple times, does a couple different things, he ends with the mustard seed illustration of faith. And I think it's kind of like one of those encouraging things. Because for us, we like to pretend that rear control has no effect, right? It's just kind of like, okay, I got to just make sure I control my attitude and stuff. But then at the end, Jesus goes, you know, faith is small as a mustard seed. The reaction that you might get, the change that you might experience in someone else's life may feel so minute and small. It might be a small comment, a small thing that changes in their, con, their continents. I can't even say that word. The small way that they interact and change and all of a sudden, that is the thing that grows. That interaction becomes something larger. Big thing. That's the way the gospel works in all of us. You're going to start to feel a theme here. But the gospel does. So the first one is this, we're control. The second one is this, never write people off, but keep a balance sheet. I really like this one. I really like this one. So how many of you guys uh, have ever heard the idea that you should just love everybody always? Anybody ever heard that before? I hope most of you have. All right. Hope most of you have. Love everybody always. So that's not writing people off. But there's another side to this. And it is not a love bank or a write, you righted me this many times and I wronged you wronged me this many times balance sheet. That is not what this is talking about. Because that's the first glance. When I read that, I'm like, okay, cool. So I can't write anybody off, but I should definitely keep track of how many times they hurt my feelings. (laughs) And make sure that when they come back around, that that many positive things happen. (laughs) That is not what this is talking about. I know that's the temptation. The temptation is this, that when you're helping hurting people, it is tempting to become hurt and broken yourself. That when you're interacting with brokenness, there's a temptation for you to be cut. And then for you to be wounded and broken yourself. One of the things I learned very quickly, and I've, I've had it preached to me and I've heard it, Talked about constantly is that unforgiveness is actually like eating rat poison yourself and expecting the person that hurts you to die. Uh, Holding unforgiveness is like holding the key to your own prison cell and begging someone else to release you. You have to keep a balance. Uh, There's a great verse for this that I think just lays this out so quickly. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, This is so good. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, if anyone does anything wrong, if anything does something harmful or hurtful to themselves or others, you should live by the Spirit, which means you should live in the fullness of God, the truth of God, the thing that has filled you up, the gospel that is very much so inside you. You should restore that person viciously. (laughs) No. (laughs) Gently. 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 But keep your balance sheet, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in the way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's so funny that the carrying each other's burdens and being there for each other and helping each other when we're difficult is actually the fulfillment of what Jesus wants. There comes a point where you're going to have to deal with difficult people, but you're going to let them either define you or you will be defined by Christ. Your balance sheet is reminding yourself, I am not defined by these difficult people or their difficulties or their definition of me. I'm defined by my Savior. Defined by their work. And I have to keep that in balance. I am not untemptable. I am not... Perfect. I have faults I can easily become prideful I'll give you a Bob Goff quote until you finally look him up here's a Bob Goff quote for this week I just read this and I was like whoa who is this this is incredible pride the unseen consequence of pride is isolation do you know that the unseen consequence of pride is isolation I don't need help I will never need help it doesn't sound like you want anybody or need anybody. Keep your balance sheet. The way I read this verse is twofold. One, it's the way that I hope I will restore someone that sins. But the second way I read this is I hope that someone else would come alongside me this way. That I hope that someone else would come alongside me this way. I sin. I sin. I struggle. This is a verse that speaks both sides and that we constantly have to be reminded that yes, we need to help people that have fallen, but yes, we are just as capable of falling ourselves. Do not write people off. Do not write people off, but keep a balance sheet of where you're at. Keep a balance sheet of where you're at, a stabilizing side, a reminder of who you really are, that you're a sinner too. The last one is my favorite. Real love, not that the other two aren't good. See, I say that, and then you're like, all right, write those off, throw them away. Real love doesn't leak. It overflows. I have my illustration here for you to kind of reveal this I'm going to try not to make a mess we'll see how that goes real love some of you are going well isn't the love of God red I said no this is mountaineer country <laughs> and this is where your hearts are right now it was a tough day yesterday here here oh gosh we're in this together thinking about this this week. See, at first glance, uh, even if love just leaked out, I think I'd be excited about it, right? Like, if love just leaked out of my life, I'd be, yes. But where you operate from and how you love people says a lot about the love you're offering. Where you operate from and how you love people says a lot about the love that you're offering. This cup up here, um, it, it represents me and you a lot of times when we try to love people. Uh, the love of God uh, on a Sunday morning or a podcast or something we listen to, uh, it, it flows into our life and it begins to fill us up. And so those around us, they get some. Uh, it just kind of leaks out of us. It fills our families, it fills our homes and encourages people. And it feels amazing, doesn't it? The love of God goes further than just your heart, it really does. Um, but see, there's another kind of love. Uh, there's a love that looks a lot like that love, and sometimes even is the same exact love. But but see, this love it, it flows out of people from the overflow. Now, here's the. What position do you want your heart to be in? Do you want the love that flowed out of you to leave you feeling empty and needing more? Do you want the love that flows out of you to be coming from a fullness that only God can offer? See, we're tempted when we're dealing with difficult people to just feel like we'll just leak a little, right? And a lot of times, if I'm honest, this is how I feel when I deal with difficult people, when I get done. Like, I did it. I leaked a little on them. We're done. We made it. Right? I loved them a little. We're fine. I need some alone time. And the truth is that this is how God wants us to operate. John 10.10, 10, for God came to offer us full life, Right? came to offer you full life, life to the full. And so sometimes we just think, oh, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. I'm good. But the truth is, if we're going to deal with difficult people, we need to be a whole person, restored and filled by God. And here's the cool part. Even the leaky cup as long as God is still pouring into it every day, it'll remain full. No matter how broken you feel, no matter how hard your life has been, no matter how many people come at you, the love of God doesn't run out like this pitcher. It just keeps flowing. You need to position yourself well ahead of time. To let God fill you up. Not just once a week, not just on a need basis when you feel a little empty, but constantly, constantly asking, How do you think Jesus did it? Can we be honest? He came down here and all we were were sieves that were empty. That's all we were broken vessels. And yet he remained fully in God's love. Full all the time. I love what Philippians describes in this idea, and this concept. Philippians chapter 1. It says this. um, I pray, this is Paul praying to the church in Philippi. I pray that the love, that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding that as you grow more in how God loves you and who he is and what he has done for you, 10,000 bags of gold. For I want you to understand what really matters, not the hundred pieces of silver, what really matters, and blameless lives, live pure and blameless lives until the day Christ returns we're going to prepare ourselves for the holiday season, if we're going to prepare ourselves to interact with difficult people, it must flow from the finished work of Christ that is fully displayed in my identity and who I am and how he feels about me. I am accepted, loved, and beautiful only because of Christ. And when we interact with difficult people, guess what? We don't ask them to repay us. We claim our reward again from God. We don't ask them to forgive us. We claim our reward again in God. We say thank you because I have been there. Thank you. That was me 10 minutes ago. Thank you for loving me so well. Thank you for fully filling my life. And if we do that, oh, how the holidays would change. Maybe some of us wouldn't feel so empty. Maybe we'd experience something a little more full. Pray with me.